You're listening to Privacy Insights, brought to you by Picasso. Hello and good afternoon. I'm Steve Wright from Picasso. I'm introducing this episode, episode two of series one of the Picasso Privacy and Security podcast series. I am delighted to have our special guest today, Paul Jordan, who is the chair of Picasso. And today, Paul is talking to us on retention and deletion, that troublesome, troublesome thing that plagues us all as DPOs, CPOs and CISOs around the world. So, hello, Paul. Glad you can join us today. Hi, Steve. Great to hear you. And greetings from Brussels, sunny Brussels as well. So, delighted to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And sunny Brussels, calling from sunny London as well. It's been a delightful weather over here too, but lots of heat going on around the rest of Europe and some some rather awful fair fires being started by this extreme heat. So do. do be careful out there. I'm really, really pleased with this subject because as you know, Paul, we as as a business, we we do a lot of analysis and benchmarking and Time and time again, retention and deletion comes to the top of the pile of complexity, of you know, sort of uncertainty and 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 unfortunately non-compliance for a lot of people that I speak to. And it's just one of those really tricky subjects. And so we're gonna dive into that. Paul here has written a short piece, which you'll find on the website and also a link through on, on how you've heard about this podcast today. So follow the link through. Don't forget, ladies and gents, to sign up to membership for Picasso. It's free to join and we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to have contributions from you or subjects that you think we should be discussing. But today we're looking at the data lifecycle and the retention and deletion of that specifically. So I've read your fantastic short paper. Thank you for that, Paul. Thanks My first question, sir, is uh, in the digital age, where data processing is becoming more and more complex, how can companies effectively minimize the data collected to reduce any of those typical risks associated with the retention and obviously to ensure compliance? That's a great question, Steve. And, you know, sometimes I think a number of companies need to start looking, you know, right at the sort of ground level of what they're trying to do with data. So I would say in many respects, you have to really have a good assessment of what your data needs are as an organization. So think about, you know, when we talk about DPIAs, for example, you know, we talk about having to do data mapping, but data mapping is just one aspect of your needs assessment. I think you really need to conduct a thorough assessment of what your organization's data requirements are, identify obviously the specific purpose for which that data is collected and processed. And I think that is, that's going to be very key to any organization as they do continuous assessment of, of their, their data needs within an organization. So I don't think that's a starter point per se. I think it's a continuous approach to assessment. There are a couple of other things I think that one can sort of look at to reduce those risks. For example, we're, you know, we're, we're companies are, are largely basing their processing on consent options. I think what we're starting to see increasingly is 
individuals being offered granular choice regarding the types of data they're willing to share and with an explanation of purpose for which that data is going to be used. So in that sense, I, I think we're seeing less bundling of consent requests for multiple purposes, which is probably ill-advised because I think people are more likely to, to decline on that. So I think giving granular choices within a consent to notice, I think is, is probably quite useful. Other things to think about, ultimately, I think, you know, you have to limit your data sharing. You know, we all work with third parties. So in that sense, you know, to protect, if you like, the integrity of data through supply chains, you should only really share data where it's necessary to achieve the intended purpose assigned to your partners. So, you know, very important to focus in on data protection agreements with third parties to ensure, you know, data privacy, security, and compliance, because you as a data controller will be will be responsible also for you know, educating employees and users. We know that breaches, erroneous processing of data is often down to, to human failures. So I yeah. think training employees, you know, understanding the maturity of your privacy and organizations, making sure that employees and users understand the importance of data minimization and actually learn to, to apply the principles of responsible data handling within their day-to-day jobs, I think is going to be a big step in reducing overall risk. So encouraging companies to apply data minimization practice in their work, as well as their personal interactions, I think is going to be relatively key because it is a it is an interdisciplinary approach that a lot of companies need to, to look at. And then, you know, just very quickly, I think you need to, as a DPO or as a governance function within organizations, you need to be constantly monitoring and auditing how data is being handled. So regularly monitor and audit data handling processes within organizations to ensure that practices and policies are being complied with, as well as uh, data minimization. So I think that's, those are probably some of the, the key points that uh, need to be kept in mind. Yeah, it, uh, excellent. I mean, I was <laughs> scribbling like that, Paul. There were some fantastic insights, and that's drawn from your history of, of privacy and being at the heart of the text, you know, of GDPR being formed there in Brussels. So, no, thanks. Absolutely. And, and, you know, a lot of this feeds also into, I think, when we're talking about retention and dilution and the data lifecycle writ large, you know, it's important as, you know, as foreseen under the GDPR, I think it's Article 30, it's important to ensure that you have up-to-date records of processing activities. So Europa needs to be up-to-date. And I think that requires a certain amount of continuous monitoring and discussions internally. And, you know, just generally reviewing your data collection practices writ large. So I think that's that's going to strengthen Europa, which you should serve as the fundamental basis for all your data processing operations. Thank you. Yeah, that was such a bad tale. Well, ladies and gents, I hope you were poised with pen and paper as I so good. There was so much in that. You could write a whole piece on just what you said there. I could write a second part. No? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think there could be a sequence, a part two. But listen, I'm conscious of time and we, yeah. we're halfway through it. So with the rise of AI, I mean, you know, so we've got the AI Act in the EU going yeah. through. It's nearly there. And, you know, with advanced processing, how has the data lifecycle become more complex with this? And why, if that is retention deletion often overlooked? There might be two questions there, really. But the rise of AI, that's really going to have a profound effect on the whole data lifecycle. But what's your thoughts on that and why retention and deletion specifically have been often overlooked? Well, it's a good question. And I think it's a question that's been asked by a lot of data protection officers and data protection mm-hmm. teams that are currently 
being addressed questions on AI projects, which which tend to somehow fall outside the scope of direct data protection and privacy considerations. Recently, one or two organizations here in Europe, some of the national member state data protection organizations did some surveys amongst their membership data protection officers and about 50% on average were reporting that they were being pulled into AI projects. So there's a certain questioning around, does that impact the independence and the autonomy of data protection officers? And does that cause some problems in that regard? But I think looking at AI, basically the first thing that jumps to your mind is scalability. AI systems, they require vast amounts of data to train and function effectively. You know this yourself in your own business. And so this massive data volume leads to challenges in everything from storage to processing to the overall management through the entire life cycle. And of course, that creates more potential points of vulnerability. So that makes the whole aspect of data privacy and security action, I think, a growing concern as well. And plus, there's a need for speed, the velocity of data. There's a need for quality, particularly with live AI applications, you know, which is also going to place burdens on data processing and retention. So. You can think about also augmented data. So those third levels of data outputs as well that come from generative AI, Mm -hmm. how are you going to manage that? So AI also, it's going to be used for processing of both personal as well as non-personal data. So, you know, I think the underlying principle here for, for organizations, and this is something that has been touted by the European Commission, as well as the European regulatory bodies, is that the GDPR is the fundamental basis of all ancillary data laws, be that the Data Act, be that the AI Act. So the GDPR is applicable to all personal data. So invariably DPOs will be involved. Now, under the AI Act, there is no statutory officer, such as a DPO. There is no AI officer foreseen within the legislation. So I think the first port of call for a lot of organizations when they're considering AI applications and the processing through AI applications is going to be towards a data protection officer. Perhaps a data governance officer of some description. But I I think we've seen some interesting developments also in the recent year. For example, I think we have to be a little bit concerned with respect to data ethics, which is obviously a very, very big aspect of AI. And what we've noticed within the last year or so is that in terms of AI transparency and ethics writ large, some of the big tech firms in the last year have made some interesting decisions by disbanding their AI transparency and ethics teams. And I think some of those are quite well known. For example, Twitter very publicly decimated its entire AI ethics team. And also at Microsoft, for example, in January, the workforce layoffs and reductions, its team that was responsible for ensuring ethical use of AI software was also disbanded. But obviously they still retain their office of responsible AI, which is still operational and works with the strategic AI. and the engineering committee, I think, within Microsoft. So there are some decisions that seem to be going against the flow of AI efforts, particularly within some of the larger organizations. And even even Facebook. Facebook disbanded its responsible innovation team in September of last year, uh, which was really designed to address potential harms to society caused by Facebook products. And that is something that is particularly of vogue in terms of debate around AI. What are the societal harms that can impact our society through the use of AI. So I think there are some decisions that are cause for concern in a way, and I think it remains to be seen how this evolves. Lovely, lovely. Um, and I mean, very comprehensive answer again. We're running out of time, would you believe? Well, there we go. You know, 
how time flies when you're having fun and learning it. And this is this is indeed a learning curve for us all. So this is great. So I'm going to skip to really two last questions. We know that segregation, accountability, responsibility, ownership, etc., are, are really fundamental to some of the problems that are facing us in our industry around retention deletion. What sure. would you say? Yeah, how, works. <laughs> a few words. How to overcome some of these difficulties, and and then that leads to the final question about the future sort of challenges. What what you think this might lead to? So so what what are your strategies? What are your top tips, if you like, to um, overcome some of these? And then what do we need to be thinking about for the future, Paul? I think you know, one of the things that we have to try and avoid is data silos or departmental silos, which can make it extremely difficult for organizations have a holistic overview and allow for consistent data retention and deletion policies across an organization. I think staff can also potentially interpret policies differently for similar types of data sets that reside in different databases around an organization. There's multiple legacy systems as well. So I think privacy by design is going to be something that will be increasingly important, which allows you to have a better holistic overview and ownership, be that federated, decentralized or centralized and bolster your accountability with your data management cycles all in all. Because you have to ensure that you don't over-retain because we know that there are no periods of retention as stipulated on the GDPR. They just basically highlight that you need to define those. So you, you need to be careful to not over-retain, but also not to prematurely delete. So I think in that sense, having a strong data governance and data culture is all yep. important within organizations. And I don't think that starts with the C-suite. I think that starts with influencers within the organization. You've really got to build up your champions. And as a DPO or a data governance team, you've got to start really working with these people on a regular basis to educate and bring greater awareness on how to do appropriate data management within companies. I think it's interesting to note also, just a very quick statistic. I remember at a presentation that I attended a couple of years ago by Dana Simberkoff of Avpoint. She mentioned that in their research, they found that anywhere between 50 and 70% of data retained by a company is duplicate. Well, <laughs> I think yeah. that gives you, you know, which which just amplifies your risk, right? Because you've got to yeah. know where that data resides when you've been able to do that through appropriate mapping or other, but you need to be able to be able to delete that where necessary or, or quarantine it if you have scotch um, to you. Cool. What, yeah. Thank you. What would you... Just a couple of words on challenges, do you think? Future challenges, you sort of alluded to it there about duplication and making sure that the champions and the data governance framework's in place. What final words on challenges, future? I think key challenges is building privacy culture within organizations. So I think budgetary-wise, there is considerable need to, particularly where you have legacy systems, if you're not doing privacy by design from the outset, you're going to have to build in layers of privacy by design to automate deletion and retention by criteria within your legacy system. So I think there's a lot of work to be done for organizations, some who have budgets and some who don't per se. But also I think as we are increasingly global supply chain across the world, it is important to really have a very, very strong emphasis on your third-party contracts and data protection agreements with uh, the third parties, because obviously the liability is passed on to them as well. So those really. are the key challenges, I would say. Thank you. In our first episode, 
we were looking at security and using AI as an ally in security, which was fascinating. This week, we've been looking at retention and deletion with Paul Jordan, our chair of the Picasso community group. And so I just want to thank our listeners. Tune in for our next episode. I'll be interviewing another one of the board members who's leading CPO for a big global organization. So it'll be interesting to see their points on this. But thank you once again, Paul. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to the next episode of our podcast coming soon. So look out for us, click on the links below and sign up to receive more information from us. Thank you very much. I'm Steve Wright from Picasso signing off. Thanks very much, Steve. Thanks.